I'm going to introduce Risa and tell you why uh, you should pay attention to her. Um, sometimes when, when speakers, when you don't, you, maybe you know Risa, but a lot of you don't know Risa, um, one of the reasons that speakers are introduced is not to brag on them, but it's to tell you why should I listen to this person. And, and that's a legitimate question. So Reese has been working with um, kids on the street for over 30 years in different capacities. She's actually had years where she went out at, at night and street outreach and looked for homeless kids. She's worked with traffic kids. And to, to do that for over 30 years and not become cynical, good luck with that. But she's been able to do it. That's impressive to me. Most people can't last that long because you, you see the darkest side of the culture in our world and then a lot of disappointments. She's also, she, there was a, how old was Karen when you met her? So she, she found a, a homeless kid named Karen, adopted her. Now Karen is a Ph.D., runs the trafficking center at Wichita State, is an international renowned expert, and Reese is her, the grandmother for kids. So a pretty, pretty successful story. So a homeless kid who Reese adopted, who now is renowned as a person working with um, trafficked kids. So imagine that success story, and ones like that keep you going. And we did this, if you're wondering, like, seems like we did this last year. We did. Um, but it wasn't enough. And, and if, you, if you got it all down last year, you can just go. You're, you're, you're good to go. But in, in the military, we, we train the same things every year. I've been doing some of the same trainings for 20 years because there's things you just need to get. And we only did it one time. And, we didn't, and my thought when we left last year is we didn't do it justice. And so we're going to do it again, and we're going to try to do it more because this is very helpful stuff. And Risa uses this to help work the ambivalence of people who, who look like they don't want to change. And it really fits well with our theme of closing the gap. So, Risa, Kevin, come on up and pray for Risa. And then, Risa, it's, it's all yours. And, and Risa has, has been excited and nervous about this. She takes this very seriously. She does these trainings all over the country. So we really appreciate all the work you've put in. Kevin? I've known Risa for a long time, and she's a real deal. She's a great friend. And I got to be the principal of her grandson. So he's an amazing young man. So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this privilege of coming together as your children, coming together as part of River Community. And um, I just don't know many places that have this kind of training. Um, it's kind of a place that has this... Uh, type of love for each other, and I'm just so grateful to be here. Thank you for Risa. Thank you for her years of investment in um, the throwaway kids and the throwaway adults, and thank you. It's because of you that she is not cynical. It's because of you that she is vibrant and filled with life and filled with wisdom. So we pray that as Risa speaks this morning, you would speak through her. She would be your mouthpiece. We pray that our hearts and our minds and our our souls would be open and receptive to what you want us to learn today. And then we pray that um, we would take this from here and to our community, with our groups, with our friends, with our family, 
We pray that this training would um, bring many people out of bondage. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it's really good to be here um, with you guys and um, to revisit this. Um, we're going to do things a little bit dif- differently today, and so we're going to do some activities that hopefully will help you um, be able to kind of um, have this in your heart and your soul um, and to get a feel for this. So the first thing I want you to do is there is an index card somewhere around you, and you're going to need a writing utensil. So. If you would get out a pen or pencil. And um, I want you to think of a change that you have wanted to make. And maybe you have made it. And maybe it's a long-term struggle. Okay? And I want you to write it on that index card. So if you, anybody not have an index card? Okay. You guys are like me. You're back row Baptists instead of up here at the front row. So... So a long-term struggle or a tough struggle, a tough change that you have wanted to make and write it on that card. Okay, everybody got it? Here, I'm going to see if mine's going to work. Yes. Everybody got it? Everybody got it? Okay. All right. Just checking to see if you're there. Okay. Now, um, when I say go, and please don't do anything until I say go, you're going to exchange that card with your neighbor, and they're going to instruct you on how to change. (laughs) You guys are cute. You're just laughing. You don't think I'm serious. Um, I'm not serious. Don't exchange your card. Okay. I don't want you to change those cards. Now, later on, um, I have two responses to that. Um, I did it in a room of about 60 or 70 um, youth workers um, in Kansas City. And I even had one person in the front go, "Mm -mm, I'm not going to do it, or you'll see people's eyes get huge. I was sharing the um, activity with Brenda, and she's like, I don't think that's a good idea. (laughs) So... um, I was like, got her. Um, so why would we do, why would I do that activity? Say again. Wake us up. So hopefully you're awake. It's a Saturday morning. But why would I ask you to do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a good word, Vulnerability. Because if you guys were really writing down that real heart change, struggle, that big thing, and handing that over to somebody else, one, that's great vulnerability because you just shared that with somebody. Two, how do we feel when somebody's going to instruct us on how to change? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if somebody's sitting in your group and they, maybe it's their second week, and um, we show up and we're going to instruct them on how to change. How will that be perceived by them? Yeah. Probably not great. Um, in, in, 
I had to learn this the hard way for a lot of years because with kids that are on the street or have a lot, or just an adolescent, <laughs> um, instructing them on how to change isn't always conducive to um, adolescent development and that push for independence. And you have to have a degree of that. But how do we create an environment um, where we can facilitate change? Um, And I think one of the things, the reasons I do this is change is hard. I think all of us in here would probably agree it's hard. And there are certain changes that we can make, and we're like, got that. And then there are those changes that we continually find ourselves like, why am I here again? I I thought I had this, right? Um, I think it's also really important for us to remember um, safety is needed in our groups in order for change to thrive. And do we create environments in our groups, and I think we do, I think River does a really good job at that, um, where change um, can flourish, okay? Um, Terry talks about closing the gap. And in order for us to close the gap, um, and think, in fact, I think I have, yeah, um, I kind of made these up myself, and so they're a little sketchy in the way of um, graphics. But in order for us to close that gap, um, change is needed. In order for us to even move one little spot here, um, change is needed. Here's another exciting thing, I think, about closing the gap, is sometimes we think closing the gap is going all the way over here, like, well, by the way, the arrow here, the, one of the reasons I have the arrow is when we get completely Christ-like, we're not going to be here. We're going to be up there, right? So it's a journey. But a lot of times we think that we have to be all the way over to here for a win to happen. Here's one of the things that keeps me pumping and keep me going um, is a win is also one step to this side. One of my favorite mentors over the years, when I was getting burnt, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, his name is Ron Soft, and he said, "Um, Risa, if a kid comes to you with, it it takes them 100 points to get healthy, they come to you with zero or 10, because they probably don't come to you with zero, and they leave with 40, they're not at 100, but they're not at 10 anymore either, right? Right? And I think we have to remember that in our small groups. When people come to us, we may be going, oh my gosh, how do we get them to move forward? How do we help them um, make that um, move? Um, One little step is success and is a win, okay? Change is defined um, as transformation, And years ago, Jim Presnell, if you guys were here, did a whole series on transformation. And how does that happen with change? And what do we need to have in order for change to happen? It's motivation. If you don't have motivation, change is probably not going to happen. Okay? Um, There are three critical elements of motivation. You got to be ready, you got to be willing, and you got to be able right? Um, If I don't have one of those, um, probably change is going to be more difficult. And so as we move forward today and we move through these, um, I think we have to look at ready, willing, and able. Even Terry was talking last Sunday about um, 
knowing God's will. You got to know it. Um, it's kind of like what, so what, now what kind of a thing. Um, you have to know what God's will is. You have to know you want God's will. And then you have to know how to move forward, how to apply that, how to um, take action. So um, being ready means I understand. I know what's involved. I know what I, do to, I, know what I need to do to move forward. But I'm going to tell you that's not enough, is it? Probably most of us know, in a lot of respects, how to change and what I need to do. What's missing sometimes? A lot of times. What's missing? We may know what it takes to change. What's a crucial component that we have? The second one up there. Willing. Do I want to want it? Right? Um, And then the last one, and this is what I found a lot working with... um, people who are in really tough situations and especially a lot of really marginalized populations, um, do they have the ability? Um, one of my favorite um, stories about being ready, willing, and able is there was a guy at the Dandelion um, years ago that um, had struggled with addiction and he was a Coke dealer. Um, and when he came to Christ and changed his life, he's like, I can't stay in Wichita. Because everywhere I go, I cross a corner, I run into somebody that was a part of that. So he moved to Alabama. And me and one of my friends decided to take a road trip to um, Disney World. And on the way there, we went and um, saw him and stayed the weekend with a family that he was staying with. And um, one of the things that he, when we were there, he says, one of the things that really um, changed my life is he says, I thought I was just renting a room from this family, and they had a 9- and 10-year-old boy, and it was a mom and dad, and he was renting a room. Um, He says, um, I sat at the table every night and watched this dad talk to a mom and watched them parent these 9- and 10-year-old boys. He he grew up in an alcoholic home. And so he says, what I didn't know is I didn't even know what I didn't know. I didn't know. You can tell me to be a good dad, but I didn't know what that looked like. And so he said, the blessing of living here is I got to see them do that. So which one of these critical components did that address? Able, right? So you can have somebody in your group that um, knows what they need to do or that you've told them they have the information. You can have somebody that's like, I want it, but they don't have the ability. They don't have the skills, right? Um, if somebody doesn't know how to study the Bible at all, um, that's an ability issue. That's not a heart issue necessarily, right? Okay. Um, and I will tell you, what keeps us from changing is if one of these is missing. And so as you're looking in your groups and you're working with people, even your members that have been there for a long time, and we'll have some scenarios later that you guys will get to practice with, you may have somebody that's never made the move. They show up, they like the company, but they've never really made the move. You may have to look at ready, willing, and able. Which one of those are missing? Okay? Um, we have two beliefs, generally, um, in, in this world. And I, I grew up the last 30-plus years where you have people who say they just they got to want it. I can't, I can't help you in that. They either want it or they don't want it. They're not motivated. I don't know how many staff meetings I sat in where somebody said, they're not motivated, they're not ready, they haven't hit bottom, 
That's one belief. Okay? Then there's another belief that says, that acknowledges, um, yes, you have to be ready to make the choice. I can't make that choice for you. You've got to make the choice. However, there's a lot we can do to help facilitate that process. That's the belief that we come to you with River. We believe, Terry believes, um, that we can help facilitate that process. Right? It's the difference between, um, I just um, saw somebody um, on Wednesday that we had um, conducted a training with, and she said the power in staff meeting now is we have this card of stages of change, and she says, it's exciting to watch my staff to change their language from, this person's not ready, we can't work with them, we're going to have to discharge them, to, oh my goodness, this person's in pre-contemplation. But now we know exactly what to do because they're in pre-contemplation. Because if somebody in your group, you're just like, they're not ready yet, they're not ready for this, they don't want this, you're ready to dismiss them, right? And even if not physically, your emotionally might be checking out. What keeps us engaged is if we know they're in pre-contemplation, now I know exactly what to do. It keeps you engaged. So instead of you saying, I can't help them, you're like, okay, I'm going to get really smart about it because I'm going to meet them right where they're at. Okay, that's what we're going to work on. Okay, so, um, and before we go here, I'm going to tell you, um, I don't want us to miss the obvious. This is a spiritual battle. There um, is an enemy who does not want us to become more Christ-like, Right? I think um, one of the things I always ask myself, what's Satan's strategy to render me useless? And um, I don't want us to forget that part. I think one of um, a really effective strategy of Satan is to try to convince us that we're being ripped off by wanting to be more Christ-like, right? Or that you can't do it, that you'll never get it whatever strategy Satan uses with that. So please don't forget that this is a spiritual battle. My role today is to talk about stages of change in motivational interviewing. Okay, I just didn't want us to forget um, that spiritual part. So what is um, motivational interviewing? Before I go, I know we talked about this last time. How many people here, like, you use MI? Like, maybe in your workplace or... Okay, good. Got a couple... Um, how about stages of change? How many people really um, use stages of change in um, what you may do at work? Or Okay, awesome. Um, I think last time we were here, we introduced it. I will tell you, um, one of the things we got today is laminated cards for you guys that have, like, the basics on it. Because you're going to have to, like, keep that, like, whether that be in your Bible or in your um, notebook for small group or whatever that is, and kind of just pull it out every now and And there's a reason it's laminated. Because it's designed to hang up, to hold on to. When we first started doing these, the street outreach team that I work with, you put them in the street outreach clipboard. You get in the van after you've walked down Broadway and you um, worked with some kids and you're like, oh my gosh, we're so stuck with this kid, what do we do? You get it out, you look at it and you start getting direction and intention, right? So that's why they're laminated. They're meant for you guys to use and touch and um, hold on to. So MI really is the practice of helping, helping facilitate change. We can't make them change. You're facilitating that change. It's helping people want to want change. 
helping them to want to want. It's that aha moment. Anybody ever seen that moment or remember those moments where you're you're like, I get it. I want it. You have that aha moment. That's what MI is about, okay? Um, I think I told this last time at a very powerful example of of aha moments as I was visiting a girl who was being um, trafficked and she was in jail. And um, I was going to see her, and she was definitely in the bragging about, yeah, I got this when I was running around, and this run- I was in charge of this and doing this and doing that. And I said, well, I've heard a lot of good stuff. Is there ever a time that anything bad ever happened? And she says, oh, yeah. And she tells me about this whole story of getting kidnapped, and she was drugged. She woke up in a city. She didn't even know where she was, and somebody was trying to brand her neck. Um, but she had all these kind of themes of power and control in that, you know, in that situation. And um, later on, I asked her, kind of in this conversation, I said, Is there, do you have a line in the sand? Is there anything that happened that you're like, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm out of it, I'm gone? And she goes, um, well, if I ever got kidnapped, and she just stopped. So we're sitting in jail, and she just stopped, and she's looked at me. What was that? Uh Aha. Because she'd already been kidnapped, right? That's what MI is, right? It's getting people to go, oh my goodness. And when we interact in group, you guys have probably seen those, but there are ways you can orchestrate some of those moments, okay? Stages of change, um, which I love, and um, I think it really helps us be intentional and directional. It's a framework to tell where somebody else is in the process of change. Because... Um, Stages of change really believes that changing is not an event. It's a process. Not many of us wake up one morning and say, hmm, this is what I need to change, and I'm on it. I'm out the door, and I'm changing. There's usually a process that comes along with that. Um, The thing about stages of change I love is it helps you assess, as a um, group leader, um, somebody's readiness to change. It helps us assess ourselves. What is our readiness to change? Okay. We're going to do an activity. And this time I want you, you can use the change on your card if you want, but I don't want you to feel like you need to do that. Um, In fact, I would encourage you not to if you haven't thought that through um, um, all the way. But we're going to do an activity, and you're going to split up um, in groups of like two and three. I don't care how you do it, but... Um, we're going to do two things. We're going to do two interactions. And when you get in groups of two and three, you're going to, the first time, um, you're going to do this um, activity. So you're going to pick a change issue. You can make one up or have one that's real. And um, one person is going to tell the other person, you're going to tell them all the reasons that they should change. Okay? I want you to just list boom, boom, boom. Tell them all the reasons to change. Then you're going to tell the person how important it is to change. And then you're going to tell the person how to change, what they should do. Okay? So you're going to have about five minutes. So get in groups of two. If needed, get in groups of three. Ready? Go. Okay. Now somebody tell me, what did that feel like? 
What, what are some things that was going on? By the way, there was, I was like going, oh, we got husbands and wives instructing people uh, how to change out here. Um, that will be interesting. But um, <clears throat> what, what did that feel like to have somebody tell you how to change, to tell you why you should change? Um, what, did, what was that like for any of you guys? And you said something really important there. Does anybody know what she said there? She was ready. Mm-hmm. And what else made it safe for her to do that? Right. Right. So you have that relationship. And a lot of people, when we do this activity, they'd be like, finally, somebody can tell me how to change because clearly I haven't gotten it, right? So there is a component that sometimes um, helping somebody discover some steps, I will tell you a lot of times, especially if the safety of a relationship is not there, you're going to what? You're going to tell me how to change, right? Then it completely puts us on the defensive, right? What else? What are some other? This is kind of a tough crowd to do it in because we do have trust relationships in this setting. We've known each other for a long time. So let's go on. What are the... What are, what are the pitfalls you could see with this engagement stuff? Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I've tried that. I've tried that. Yeah, I learned some of this the hard way working with parents when they'd come in and you would um, give some options of something. I've done that, tried that, done that, tried that, done that. And you'd have, um, especially me as a young worker early in my career, go, oh, what the heck? Okay, you know, like, and it, and it uh, I felt like gave me a reason to check out because clearly they weren't interested, right? But I'd kind of set the whole process up for it to fail in that interaction with that parent, okay? Anything else? My problem is that I'm supposed to tell Kevin how to fix his stuff, and the stuff that he's talking about, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, I have to do, that would be really hard. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this, this might even be a bigger issue for us as leaders, right, to say... If I have to have all the answers on how to instruct them, I can't do this. I'm sorry, Jim. I, I can't be a leader anymore because I just don't feel equipped to be able to do this, right? If this is our approach and we feel like it's our job to tell them what to do and how to change, that makes us feel, if you're like me, feel really incompetent, right? And um, the enemy will um, really build on that, right? Right? Okay, so you're going to do another activity. It's going to be a little bit different. We call this activity telling versus asking. Okay? So you're going to get with your same partners, and you can switch partners if you want, or you can do the same one, whichever you want. I'm going to give you some options there. And then you're going to ask these three questions. Okay? So you are going to ask the person what is making you think about a change. You're going to ask the person, what are the top three reasons that you are, that are, are making you consider a change, right? 
or, or the reasons for changing, and how do you think you might go about succeeding? Um, and a really great question to draw somebody out is, what has worked for you in the past? Have you ever been successful changing something? Like, what did you do that worked? Right? Okay. So you got about uh, four or five minutes on this. Ready? Go. Okay. You guys are a very cooperative um, group, I just have to tell you. Um, so what did this feel like? Bet I heard better. <coughs> Why does it feel better? Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's really important that they own it. Because if it's not important to them, think back to ready, willing, and able, right? If you look back at um, the first one, when you think about ready, willing, and able, how does this help somebody get ready, willing, and able? You could make an argument for ready, right? But it really doesn't address willing and able other than you instructing them, but they're not learning. They're just necessarily, you're just telling them, right? This is really a different process um, that leads to ready, willing, and able. Okay? Because they're thinking of why it's important to them. And I will tell you, um, to get somebody to want to want change, it has to become... Their thing. We'd even have kids that I'd work with all the time that were relationship starved, right? And they would want to please you. And so they would make some changes just so you would be really proud of them. But that if they got mad at you, <laughs> typically the way that they would get back at you is what? To screw up and not, because that change wasn't their own, right? And there's nothing wrong with wanting to please somebody. There's nothing wrong with that. But that can't be your core motivation. You have to say, what's in it for me? What's in it for them to want to want to change? And this gets there. You're also drawing on, when you're asking them what's worked in the past, that gets really exciting because then they can start to build some belief in their own case. I have done this before. I can do this. I can take what worked over here and bring it over here. And yes, they're going to probably need some new skills. They're going to need some um, new ideas, some new pathways to walk down. But they also, um, there's a thing called self-efficacy. Anybody know self-efficacy? That's a belief that you have what it takes to make a change. And some people um, really believe, I can't do it. It's just too hard for me. It's just not going to happen. When they start to identify where they've been successful, you're starting to build that um, self-efficacy, okay? What else? What else did this feel like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a specific tool of motivational interviewing, Okay. A very specific tool of motivational interviewing is questions, and not just questions, but open-ended questions. Okay? Uh, It gets Mm lower. Tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. And I think one of the things about motivational interviewing, which, by the way, you, you made me think of something. I, I would never tell anybody this is the only way for you to approach change. These are two tools we're talking about today. But there is a time to say you may need to look at blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, um, but I'm going to say that oftentimes that's our first go-to. <laughs> and that may not be our first go-to. Here's another thing that came to my mind when, when you were saying, when we instruct somebody, especially professionally, here's one of the things I learned that if I instructed somebody on what to do to go change or to work with their kids or do whatever, and they went out and it didn't work, whose fault was it? Mine. Yeah, I just really even felt a lot of blame. She was like, you, it was you, Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys can see, like, this really kind of shifts and kind of takes down some walls sometimes. And a lot of times I would see that I would actually invite them to say, I don't know, could you give me some ideas? There's a big difference from me saying, let me give you some ideas. And somebody saying, could you give me some ideas? Right? Um, that's a good thing. If somebody's asking you, and that's one of the rules of MI, basically, is um, I just don't go around giving information. I will say, is it okay if I share something with you? Is that okay? Now, don't ask that question unless you're willing to, if they say no, say, you know, I'd really rather not hear it. Okay. There's a thing we'll talk about later called roll with, rolling with resistance. That's a really important part of motivational interviewing. That's right. Now, with teenagers, we have to have consequences for not choosing the right thing. Um, I heard somebody say from 0 to 12, it's teaching. From 12 on, it's training. And that's part of training, right? Is there are consequences to your behaviors. Um, But, yeah, we're not forcing this on them, okay? Here's another thing that I love about this is if I... There are some people, anybody been around people or had them in your group that want you to tell them how to change all the time? Does that get a little exhausting after a while? They're very needy. They really need for you to tell them. They can't move forward. They feel stuck. They feel frozen. And they always are calling you and saying, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And they're not thinking about solving their own problems. This also teaches people to be critical thinkers. You know, if you go thoughts, feelings, behaviors, um, it teaches people how to think. This is one of my favorite things to do with teenagers because what we want to do is teach them how to think. 
And if you have somebody in your group member, you're in your group, or you have people in your life that you're reaching out to, and somebody's always taught them how to think, this is a really helpful tool to help them learn how to think and make their own decisions. Okay. Okay. So um, I will tell you um, if you, anybody's ever gone through a motivational interviewing training. You can spend days and weeks and months and a long time doing that. Um, one of the reasons that we tried to bring MI to boiling it down to say, how can I spend an hour with you around motivational interviewing and you feel like you can leave and have tools that you can use is because that's the reality of the, the um, career that I picked. You got direct care people that come in. Um, I remember we sent somebody off to a very expensive training to, so they could be a motivational interviewing um, trainer of trainers. Um, and within a year, they had taken another job. Okay, so then as a nonprofit, we're like, we can't afford to send somebody else for that. And I will also tell you, she had a hard time bringing that back and making it say, how does this work in our setting? How do we take this for street outreach? So that's where this came out to. So I will tell you, I think there's great value in you going out and being trained in motivational interviewing. But the truth is, most of us in here are probably not going to go for those trainings, right? But there's still those principles that we can boil it down to. And here are four of the really important constructs of motivational interviewing. You see a lot of lists in MI. If you get on the Internet and you Google motivational interviewing, you could literally do all-nighters for a long time looking at all this information, right? So there's four things I want you to remember. Um, and the first is the spirit of MI. I, I even had kind of, I'm a very visual person. I, have in, I had envisioned having a circle of chairs here, and I was going to lay down my little cloud of the spirit of MI, right? Because if you don't start with the right attitude, then um, everything else is probably not going to work out well. So you've got to come with the right spirit, and we'll talk about what that is in a minute. And then there is a pathway or a process to change. There is a roadmap that you can follow, that you can um, lead down. And I, you guys are going to have this on um, cards, on laminated cards, and we'll go over it in a minute. But um, even organizing your group, when you're setting up and you're thinking about group, you can even take yourself through a process of saying, I'm going to start here, this is the next step, the next step, and the next step. I will tell you, Terry does this in his messages all the time. And you'll see it as we um, go on. Then there are rules to follow. And the rules are really great to keep us on track. And you can also look back at the rules after a group. You've sat in group, and you're like, well, that didn't work out well. Okay? You can look at this and say, oh, that's because I didn't do this, or I did do this, right? And then there are tools. There are four tools that are really effective that can be used throughout the entire process. So if you have down the spirit, you understand the pathway, you know the rules, and you have the tools, you're ready to go, okay? And you guys, um, this will um, all be on your um, card. In fact, almost the exact diagram will be on your um, card. So, in fact, Brenda, um, if you want to hand out the MI ones. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we actually even put some tools on here that you can use. Um, and we'll talk more about how you can use these um, at the end. Okay, we're going to start on this side. So look at this side right here with all the drawing, the cloud on it. I'll just say, look on the side that has the cloud. Okay. So if you look at the spirit, and this is the first one that we want to start with, because if you don't have this, um, if you feel like it's your job to change them, if you feel like it's your job to instruct them, that you, you're, the, you're the keeper of the wisdom about this, and so you want to instruct them, that's not in line with the spirit of MI. And like I said, there may be a time that you have to say, I feel like I just need to tell you some things. Um, but I'm going to have to tell you, you have to figure out, have you earned the right to do that yet? Okay? Um, so awakening is that um, evoking, that summoning, pulling up inside of them. That's what MI is all about. That's why it's called motivational interviewing, is you're firing up that inside want to want. I want to want. You're awakening. So if your spirit... You're, the way that you move forward is to say, it's my job to wake up that internal motivation. That's part of the spirit. Compassion. When we sat in here and you guys wrote on your individual index cards, I want you to think back to your change and how helpful it is to have somebody that's working with you that has compassion about that as opposed to maybe being judgmental about that. Or not saying, you need to suck it up. Right? And there is a time to say, suck it up. But hopefully that comes with compassion. And again, I'm going to say, have you earned the right to say that that way? And are they in that spot? Autonomy. When I have autonomy up here, why would, we, why would autonomy be part of the MI spirit? What does autonomy mean? I mean, go ahead. Yeah. I have the right to say no to this if I want to. Right? I'm my own person. I can say no to this. Now, there might be consequences to that, right? But um, they have the right to say no because if I walk into the room and I'm thinking, you better not say you're not going to do this, you know, or sometimes that's just in our attitude. Like, that's your expectation. Okay. And then collaboration. Collaboration infers that it, what? We're together. This is a partnership. I'm not instructing you, pointing down to you. I'm going to tell you it's collaboration. It's a partnership. 
So when we think about the spirit of MI, I will say every time, I want you guys to envision in your head right now, I want you to think about where you meet for your small group, whether it be in a Panera, somebody's living room, coffee shop, where I want you, I want you to have that in your head right now. And I want you to think about walking in to that, getting ready with you, your leader, and your LIT, and coming in with the spirit if you're going to use MI. So how do you even infuse that spirit into your mind of sitting down and saying, okay, um, my job is to help wake up, right? My job is I'm going to have compassion for everybody in this room. Um, I want to spend eternity with everybody in this room, and I want them to be at their best in Christ-likeness, right? Um, this is a partnership. I'm working with them. And so if you can envision that in, your, in the place that you meet every time you walk in. Um, I always say another thing I love about this card is when you meet with your LIT, to pull this out and to set it in front of you guys and to even say, how are we doing in this area? How are we doing in this area? That's a really useful way um, to see if you're on track. Okay? So that's the spirit. Um, the next one, this is the pathway or process. And this is what I think you'll see um, Terry do every time we have um, Sunday services. You'll see him um, engage us, and you'll even, he'll start with that even before church, right? He'll be talking to people, engaging people. He'll get up. He'll tell a story that engages people. And then he's going to focus on what we are going to talk about. And then we're going to go through the process of the message where he's basically invoking. And that is, again, the um, focus, I would say, is what. Evoke is so what. And plan is now what. And anybody that's ever been around for River for any length of time, um, I have this written in my Bible that Terry said probably a couple decades ago. I have zero interest in looks at the Bible that don't result in Action? Yeah. That's application. That's planning. So even thinking about sitting in that place where your group is um, and saying, when you're planning your group, how do I take people through this process? How do we engage? Right? How do, we, how do I introduce the focus? How do we evoke from them? Why would they be interested in the information that we're going to talk about? And then what do we want them to walk away with? When I would teach people how to do groups, and whether that be um, small group settings or whether that be um, doing a presentation, I do this now when I do trainings. I start with something at the bottom of my page, and I say, what do we want them to walk away with? You know, one of my questions to Terry was, what do you want them to know, and what do you want them to be able to do? I won't tell you his answer to that, but <laughs> do you remember what your answer was? I want them to do stuff. So... Um, <laughs> I guess I did tell what his answer was to that. So um, tell me when you guys look at this, what are you, what are you thinking? When you're thinking about um, group from beginning to end, you walk in the door to when you're at the end, what do you think when you see this? Helpful or not helpful? A roadmap. Yes.
my pastor when I was growing up, and that's why I've said this a couple times, um, Pastor Arnold, Arnold Entz, and um, he always called me Sunshine. That was part of his engagement with me. That was my, he probably called everybody else Sunshine too, but I thought it was just me. Um, but one of his sayings, and at his funeral, they said um, that one of his things that he lived by is you have to earn the right to be heard. You have to earn the right to be heard. And that's what MI is all about. And I was even, I have um, the Bible on CD, and I've been listening to it in my car, and Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And when I think about seek, it was engagement. When I think about Zacchaeus, that was on my ride from my house to here. Um, He sought out Zacchaeus, and he's like, I'm going to come to your house. That's engagement, right? At the drop-in center when we had runaway and homeless youth, we knew that if we didn't have engagement, it was all over but the crime. You are not going to be effective, right? We are wired up for relationships. We were made to engage. And in the drop-in center, we made a point of when they walked in the door, we would be, we'd remember their name, and we'd say, how are you doing? It's good to see you. Are you hungry? Do you need supplies? You know, whatever that is. That was our almost hook. It was like, Right? And it's the same thing for group. It may not be as dramatic, but do you notice? Are you, can you have the ability to see when somebody comes in your group that something is not good today? And we have to be careful how we attend to that, right? You don't sit in group and say, well, John, you look like you're struggling today, right? But you can pull up beside somebody afterwards, you're getting coffee or whatever, and say, hey, are you doing okay? Kind of seem a little down. And you can tell from their response how they're going, whether, they, whether you need to say, you know what, if you need to talk later, just know I'm here. Right? Or they may say, yeah, I really need to talk to you. Okay, great, let's schedule a time. Right? And that will also in groups, sometimes you, groups can get hijacked by group becomes all about that. And there's times that's appropriate, possibly, but there may be times that that's not appropriate and if you say, hey, let's get together, then that's dealt with and it's done. And it's not hanging over group because you already got a time later to deal with that, right? You've engaged. So I'm going to say some of us, we could engage in our sleep. For some of us, we're wired up a little bit differently. And we're the, I'm, we're getting down to business, right? You got to make yourself learn to engage and figure out what's um, authentic for you to do. Because what's authentic for me to do may not be authentic for you to do. And what's good for girls um, may not be good for guys, okay? So now you got your roadmap. So we got our spirit, right? You got your um, roadmap, which, by the way, think about this individually. You're meeting with somebody one-on-one. This works for individual process. So, like, even leaving, you go through this whole process. We'll talk about open-ended questions and all that kind of thing. Um, And you say, the next time we get together, what would help you feel like you closed that gap just a little bit? What would help you think you took one step toward? You could ask that in group. In fact, we'll talk about even some activities you guys um, can do in group. Okay, so this is the rules. We all got to live by rules, and MI's got rules too. 
Okay? And the, this is one of the things you can look at. If you feel frustrated and you're like, this is not working, you can get out your card and look at the rules in this gray box up at the top. Um, and the first thing is expressing empathy. And that's about engagement, right? That's about building rapport. Um, and there's a big difference between empathy and sympathy. And one of my favorite college professors um, gave a picture of it that helped uh, a lot. Sympathy, he said, is, there, is there's a pit and the person you're helping is in the pit. Sympathy is just jumping right down there in that pit with them and saying, oh, man, this is terrible. This is horrible. Empathy is very different. It puts a ladder down the pit and you're at the top of the pit and you're encouraging them to come up, right? There's a difference between empathy and sympathy, okay? Um, develop discrepancy. Um, that's evoking. And you're like, where you're at now, where do you want to be? And what is the difference between here and here? They're like, I don't want to stay here. You say that... Um, well, I'm going to say, you say you don't want to be homeless. You say um, that your goal is to do this and this and this and this. So what's the gap in between there? Just having them realize that gap is a big deal. Okay? Um, when, we, when Terry talks about closing the gap, every time he's said that, I even had envisions of having a big X over here and then having big dots around. I'm very visual. And then having it over here. To, it's useful to visualize if they even understand that there's the gap and that this much movement is good, then that's success. And then roll with re resistance. This is one of my favorite, um, and one that I had to learn. The minute that somebody's um, defenses get up, so when you guys did the activity where you were telling them what to do, you probably could see defensiveness. If you were doing it in real life, you would see defensiveness. MI says when you get resistance, you roll with it, and that's an indication that you need to try something different, that you need to, and you'll see that on one of the cards that I give you later, um, that to say, well, I can see that we're um, going down a road that you're not comfortable with right now, and that's okay. How would you like to have some coffee or, or whatever, you know? You're going to roll with that resistance. Or what would you like, what would help you make you feel like you were moving forward? What could I do that would be helpful? People would walk into my office, and they still do today, and they'll just, whoo, everything comes out. And I'm thinking, what can I do that would be helpful to you right now? Because I could have in my head this whole list, right? But I'm probably going to get resistance and say, well, first of all, you need to do this. First of all, you need to get away from this guy. First of all, you need to find a different place to live. I'm on first of all. So okay, but third of all, you need to do this and this and this. And they're probably not going to go with that, right? And then the last one is support self-efficacy. Affirm their capabilities. And I know you're struggling right now. However, here's what I saw you do in the last six months. I've seen you really take some big steps. Because here's what happens in that gap. They get here and they get there is this personality that gets really frustrated because they're not here, even though they are here, and they think, I can't do it. Right? So you're going to affirm their capabilities. So that's the rules. And then this is your tools. Um, that these are in, you can remember ORs, you can see the acronym down the side, but anytime you look at MI, these are your four tools. Um, Open-ended questions. And I will tell you, I, um, I told Terry, I said, I haven't really got this all the way fleshed out in the New Testament. I said, but I think Jesus really used a lot of motivational interviews. He says, you don't have to flesh it out. He did. 
you know? So, like, even what was, um, what was the um, first words that Jesus said in John? What do you want? That was an open-ended question, right? It wasn't, do you want something? Because that's a yes or no. What do you want? Open-ended questions. Um, and then affirmations, and you'll see this later, um, just to even affirm that, man, that sounds like that's really tough for you right now. Sounds like this has been a lifelong struggle. That's an affirmation, right? Um, well, sorry, that's a reflection. An affirmation is just really breathing a little life is what I used to call it. How can you breathe a little life into somebody and affirm them? Okay, so that may be, I see this as one of your strengths. You have really um, persevered through this. You've really kept your feet pointed in this direction. Um, I'm really impressed that you haven't given up. That tells me a lot about your personality. Okay? Um, and then the difference between reflection and summary, um, this took me forever to get with MI, and then I, somebody said it in a training, um, and it clicked. Reflection is reflecting back what somebody says, and that's all the way through the conversation. Summary is at the end. You're summarizing, and you say, okay, let me see if I can, it sounds like to me, do you mind if I tell you what it sounds like to me, and then you can tell me if I'm on or if I'm totally off. And sometimes I'll even say, please tell me if I'm really screwed up on this, all right? Because you just invited them to say, no, you missed the whole point. Okay? So that is um, the tools. Okay, so we're going to practice. Oh, by the way, I, I would be negligent if I didn't tell you. If you look down here, there is a roadblocks. This is really important about MI. Um, if you're authoritarian, if you're confronting, if you're condemning, if you're arguing with them, if you're trying to prove yourself that you're right, you're probably not doing, well, you're not doing MI. <laughs> or you're going down the wrong road. And then my second um, favorite one is if you're doing most of the talking, then you're, not, you're probably not doing MI. Because what's one of the main tools? Open-ended questions. And open-ended questions infers that I want to hear from you, right? Okay, so we're going to do an activity. And this is something that you guys could do in group. Maybe your first group, when we start talking about closing the gap, um, you could do this in sitting in group, right? Or you could have an assignment that they worked on this in between um, one group and another. Um, And we're going to do what we call the decisional balance. Um, And Brenda's going to be our um, lovely, yes, our lovely writer. Um, And a decisional balance um, is a way of um, really evoking motivation with somebody. So we're going to talk about this in um, the context of Christ-likeness. And you're going to have the benefits of staying the same, of where we are. So... um, I'm even going to put here, maybe, staying the same and the cost of staying the same. And this is the benefits of becoming or closing the gap more Christ-like. And this is the cost of closing the gap. 
okay? Sorry, sloppy writing. So let's start out with, and I want you guys to just kind of call it out, and Brenda's going to put it up here. What are some of the benefits of staying right where we are right, where we are right now and not moving towards Christ-likeness? It's comfortable. What else? Easier. And I, I, could, I could have some conversations about easier because there's easier right away and there's easier down the road, right? So there's always that immediate and consequences of, but that is our, that's, that's my mindset. <laughs> that's me. This is easier. Okay, what else? What's the benefits of staying right where we're at? Familiar. It doesn't create any challenges. And especially if you're overwhelmed by life, right? Think about change is difficult for us. Think about disenfranchised and marginalized populations that they're trying to figure out a place to sleep tonight. Everything about life is overwhelming to them. And so um, that's just something to think about when you're thinking about change. I think it's really when we talk about expressing empathy, and having compassion. Um, most of the times we see, when we look at people and we're seeing their need to change, we see that through our eyeballs and our experiences, right? Not theirs. I learned a lot about that working with homeless folks. Like, you can get on the bus, girl. You can get a job and get on the bus. But what if the person who abuses her or her trafficker rides that same bus or is at the bus station every day? Or what if she has anxiety attacks every time she gets on the bus? Or what if she has to work on Sunday and the bus doesn't run? Or the bus is kind of expensive, right? So I'm seeing it through my eyeballs, not her eyeballs, right? All right, any other benefits of staying the same? Yeah. You don't get in the conflicts with people around you because it's status quo, right? Think about somebody in China that decides to follow Jesus. There's a lot of benefits for them to stay where they're at, right? Right. Okay, so I think you guys got that. Let's go. Um, what are the costs of staying the same? What? Yeah. If nothing changes, nothing changes, right? Same results. What else? What are the costs of staying the same? What does it cost you to not move towards Christ-likeness? Relationship? Okay. And even having that deepness, that sweetness of relationship. Freedom? Talk Freedom from choices? Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Those ruts, right, that Terry talked about. And especially not only in our habits, but in our, our brain. Right? We have to intentionally get our, our brains the way it operates out of those ruts. Okay, so let's move down to what are the benefits 
of becoming more Christ-like. Live the abundant life. Salvation? Now, I would say, absolutely, if somebody makes a commitment to follow Christ, that is salvation. And I would say probably many people in our groups are going to be saved. So we're moving from where we are now in our walk with Christ and our Christ-likeness ahead. But absolutely. Go ahead. Joy, peace. Yeah. Better relationships with who? Okay. Okay. What are some? His glory. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Seeing Christ's work, yep. Okay, so let's go over here. What are the costs to becoming more Christ-like, to closing the gap? Are there any costs? Mm -hmm. Sacrificing your comfort zone. Relinquishing control. Say again. Living disciplined, which is hard. More work? Okay. Relationships might be strained. Certain relationships, especially if somebody in your group is married to a non-Christian, there could be some pretty big costs. Being called away from your family. If you go missions. Yeah. Is that what you were kind of talking about? Yeah. What else are the costs? You will look different than the world. Yeah. Yeah. You have a different identity. You give up. I like um, Brenda's translation. You're an alien in the world. And if you're in my group, you'd get a little green man that's a little alien to remind us that we are aliens and strangers, which for me was very useful for me because it helped me remember that um, this is not my home. And I have put in my calendar, anybody bullet journal? (laughs) Okay, you don't, you're like, I don't know what it is. You don't need to know it. Don't Google it. You could be on it all day long. But I write in my bullet journal um, every week um, what matters most now matters. What matters most in the end matters the most now. Right? Failure. Yeah. It's kind of inevitable. <laughs> Any other costs? Perceived control. Talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Anything else? Any other costs that you want to put up there? Yeah, yeah. I think about there's uh, somebody that's very close to me and they're fighting a battle against um, sometimes I call Satan's playground and you can tell when you're knocking <laughs> on that door. Yeah, because he's very um, protective of um, certain things, right? Okay, so um, thank you, Brenda, uh, very much for doing that. Um, when you guys look at this activity... What do you think? What's the usefulness or not? What's the usefulness of this activity? What did we just do here? Did I hear somebody say evoke? Okay. So if you think about motivational interviewing, and our job is to engage, did we engage somebody if we're doing this? How many people um, contributed to this activity? And, and did, raise your hand if you contributed and said something to this activity, right? So we just engaged all those people, right? So that's engagement. Even asking them, that's just engagement. That whole, this is an engagement activity, right? What else did we do? Did we focus? We focused on an issue, right? Christlikeness, closing the gap, becoming Christlike. So we're in our path of change, right? Did we evoke? Did we summon up reasons to change? Yes? What else did we... Go ahead. Yep, and when um, Terry talks about ambivalence, this here is amb- helping people resolve their ambivalence, it's a really great tool for helping them resolve their ambivalence. Um, I will tell you, what happens if um, somebody does this, you guys do this in group, and you have 14 things over here, and you have one thing over here? What does that tell you? They need more hope? (laughs) They're not ready? May not be ready yet, yeah. Um, or we may need to evoke a little bit more and ask some questions. Um, and we'll talk about some of that um, with the stages of change and um, some of the things you can do. Um, I'm just going to tell you guys, um, I started um, pulling this out. And I, you, please don't look at my script. Well, I won't show you because I have lots of scribbles on there. But I'm just going to say benefits of changing. I started listing all the reasons. Um, And you guys hit a lot of these. Please God, glory to God, others will see Jesus and be drawn. I will love better. I will be more faithful. When I choose Christ-likeness, I sin less. I have less guilt, less consequences. I have my mind on what matters the most. I'm less afraid. I worry less. I stress less. My priorities are right. I live with no regret. I obey God. I live out my best. And then I started listing um, verses, Second um, Samuel twenty two twenty six. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. Um, Psalms twenty one twenty three. The Lord preserves the faithful. Um, Psalms thirty seven twenty eight. He will not forsake the faithful ones; they will be protected. Um, Psalm ninety seven ten. Guards the lives of the faithful; he delivers them. Matthew nine twenty nine. 
according to your faith, faithful, your faith, it will be done. Living in line with the reality. And then I put what matters most in the end matters most now. And for me, when I start listing that, even with myself, I am start going, I want Christ-likeness because I want these benefits. I don't know if you guys could even see yourself doing this activity in group, but it might be a great way to get people um, to evoke, okay? Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for people to get, I think the full picture is important because sometimes you find yourself selling, maybe not a good word, selling Christ-likeness. There is a cost to that. And for somebody to jump in and not consider all of this and am I ready for the cost? But then also remembering that you don't necessarily want to just live here and think about the cost and go, oh, no, I don't want that because I'm balancing it out with the benefits. And what we want to help our small groups do is to have this benefit list this long. So even though our costs may be here, we know the benefits are a lot bigger and that there is a cost for staying the same. There is a cost, and there's a payoff for staying the same because then they're making an informed decision. So if you go back to that ready, willing, and able, do you think somebody, after they do this, they're more ready to look at what's involved in being Christ-like? They probably are. They have more information. They've looked at it from four different directions, right? Are they more willing? Well, hopefully, especially if this list is long, But can this list have one thing on it and still convince us? What would that one thing be? No. Jesus. Even if the only benefit that we have is we get Jesus and we please God and we glorify God, if that's our only one on there, for us in this room, would we still choose this? And that's a great conversation to have. But I will also tell you, working with somebody that, um, I hope you guys see the vision for this because typically this is not used with Christ-likeness, but think about alcoholism. Think about porn addiction. Think about having um, sex outside marriage. You could do this with any kind of issue, change issue, right? Okay, let's see... Um, All right, I want you guys to look on the back of your card because there's another activity I'm going to talk about really briefly, and it's the readiness ruler. Well, that's harm reduction. You don't want that one. Um, I want you to look at the readiness ruler. This is another tool that you can use um, in group, and if you think about it, there's um, three questions. I think I told you guys about um, very briefly worked with a kid that I'd picked up off the street several times that had been involved in human trafficking. And every time I picked her up, she had like maybe one bag 
everything she owned in a Dylan's bag. And she'd typically have marks or bruises or cuts all over her. She was hungry, dirty, bed bugs, you know, whatever. And the last time I picked her up, um, I remember asking her this question. And I said, man, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being, you know what, I'm not interested in change. You don't even talk to me. 10, I can't do this anymore. Where do you think you are on that? She goes, I'm at an 8. And I said, okay. So, and I said, can I ask you another question? Because that's important with MI is asking permission. One being, I don't have a clue what to do to change and to make my life come out differently. Ten being, I know exactly what to do. Where are you at? She said, I'm a two. What did that just tell you as a helper? Right. Willing but no ability to know what to do. And we can ask the same question. So on here, these are hooked up with ready, willing, and able. And it's this um, square at the bottom to be able to say, on a scale from 1 to 10, how ready um, are you to be Christ-like, to move towards Christ-likeness? Do you know what that involves? And even asking your groups individually, maybe they have it on a paper and they don't share it with anybody. Maybe that's an activity that you have them do. Um, On a scale of 1 to 10, how willing are you? This would be kind of cool to do, you know, at Wichita State, we're kind of pre-test, post-test, evaluation, blah, blah, blah. At the beginning of group and at the end of the semester of your first group, to ask ask this at the beginning and ask it at the end and see where they're at, that could be interesting, right? And then to say, on a scale of 1 to 10, how able are you? I have no idea what to do. I know exactly what to do. This starts to, one, put in their head, because this girl that I was working with, when I asked that, a light, you could see a light bulb, that aha moment come on for her. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I know I want it. And if you want an extra credit question, it could be, so what would take you from an 8 to a 10? What would take you from an 8 to a 10? What would take you from a 2 to a 6? You know, what, what could we do to help you move forward? So that's another activity um, that you guys can use, okay? Um, I don't want to um, miss this part. Stages of change, we already talked about. So now you know how to facilitate change. And remember, one of the things that's on that card that's really important, you are not a fixer. You are a facilitator, right? Back in the long time ago, the TV show Equalizer, you know? That was his role, equalizer. Your role is facilitator. So if I had a T-shirt, I'd give you facilitator, not a fixer, right? Um, And this is going to be really helpful of trying to assess where somebody is because the minute that you know where they're they're at, you know um, how to move forward. And um, Brenda, if you want to go ahead and hand out um, the cards. Um, This is a 10,000-foot flyover. I call of um, stages of change. And um, as you guys get your cards, this is a really great breakdown. Um, So pre-contemplation would be, nope, that's not me. And there are reasons, different reasons people end them there. We'll talk about that very briefly. Um, Well, maybe is contemplation. It might be me. I might be that person. Three is like, okay, what do I do now? That's preparation. Four is, okay, let's do this. That's action. And then maintenance is like it is possible. Um, So that's kind of the overview. As we go through each of these, and you guys see this on your... um, 
You can look on the back and you will see the 10,000 foot kind of flyover on there. It looks a little bit different. Okay. By the way, also you'll see that activity, um, the decisional balance on there. And I probably won't get to this, but if you look at self-efficacy, when I look at self-efficacy, I looked at that in terms of Christ-likeness and I thought, that sounds like discipleship to me when I start looking at um, self-efficacy. Okay? So as we go through each of these stages, I'm going to do this very quickly. Um, If you guys have this side of your card, the very first column is the stage of change. Um, I think you guys are probably, I'm going to go through it very quickly. One, you will have this to look back at. Two, I think you're probably here and you kind of know what these are. Pre-contemplation, not even thinking about a change. Don't want it, not interested, don't talk to me about it. It might be, don't talk to me about it. It might be, I didn't even realize I needed to change in that area. Or it could be hopelessness. I've tried it a million times, I can't do it. It's really important for you to know why they're in pre-contemplation because you're going to deal with those differently, right? And then the goal of pre-contemplation, and this is the big win, the continuum of wins, right, is you get to think about change. If, you, if they'll just go, huh, I never thought about that before. Maybe this isn't what it's all, you know, stacked up to be, right? Um, if you can create ambivalence, if somebody's not a Christian... Um, maybe our first goal is to create ambivalence about not being a Christian. Now, the end goal, hopefully, is um, salvation and becoming Christ-like, right? But there are other things before that. And pre-contemplation would be, I'm not even interested in being a Christian. Or for Christ-likeness, it might be, um, you know, I'm good, I'm saved. I don't really feel like, I need to do anything else. This is what it says in the Bible, that I'm, you know, saved or, what, or whatever. They're in pre-contemplation. Okay, so the next one is contemplation. Um, and this is where ambivalence, when Terry's talking about ambivalence, they want change, but they don't want change. And that's where this activity comes in really handy, is doing the decisional balance, is in contemplation. Okay? Um, and it gets you ready for the next stage, which is preparation. And remember your goal here is to explore and resolve ambivalence. That's exactly what this is about, to explore and resolve ambivalence. The readiness ruler, that's exploring and resolving ambivalence. If you look on the back of um, your MI card, almost everything on the back of this card is designed to evoke because that's the hardest part. I mean, engaging, thats you kind of know what to do with that. Focus, you know how to focus, Right? Evoking is probably the toughest part, is how do we help them want to want? That's what all of these are on the back, okay? Um, Preparation is they're getting ready for the change. And your goal there is to develop an effective change strategy. Notice that change hasn't occurred yet. You're preparing to change. They might try on change. They probably will. Start, especially when you start talking about Christ-likeness, you're probably still going to, they're going to be moving that way. They may start reading their Bible more, right? But um, they may not be totally um, engaged in the action, especially if you're talking about drug and alcohol. This is the person that sets up an appointment to get an evaluation because they know they need to go to treatment, 
right? They're in preparation. They haven't made the change yet, but they're preparing for that. A girl leaving trafficking. Um, she doesn't want to leave all of her belongings because she's got a picture that her mom gave her, and her mom's been dead for, you know, three years. And so she's like, I'm, I'm not. And you're like, don't go back there. We'll get you have to go with what they give you. And so we've had to help kids leave a little bit at a time so they have all their belongings. I'm going to go to get and do laundry. Will you meet me at the laundromat? And I'm going to give you some of my belongings, and then I'll take some back, right? That's preparation. They haven't left yet, but they're preparing to leave, right? Um, the next one is action. Um, clearly, you know what action is. They're taking steps. They are implementing the change. So this is the person that is like, I want to meet with you and talk every week in small group. They're really engaged. Um, if somebody's got some kind of issue, so like if we're talking pornography, they have really taken the steps to get filters, be accountable, get certain things out of their house, whatever. Okay? Here's what I'm going to tell you is that this is the time that as a helper, as a small group leader, you may be ready to go, oh, oh thank the Lord. Right? This is the time, honestly, that you're going to have to stand up and lean in. Why? Say again. Recurrence, yeah. It's brand new, isn't it? Everything is hard. It's not comfortable. Think about all the things that you guys put over here on the costs of changing. Because these costs are there, we have to lean in. It's not normal yet. Terry often talks about the new normal. Maintenance, the next stage would be it's their new normal. It's like it would be weird to go back to whatever. In this stage, in action, everything is weird. Like um, somebody who comes off the street and they get a real job. This is messed up. These people are weird, right? Some kids might say, it is so weird living in the square world, right? Because they weren't a part of that. They were a part of a completely different culture. Um, if somebody comes to River and they're in small group, that's going to be weird if you didn't grow up in the church and they're like, this is weird. In fact, they might think, somebody else told me at work that you guys are a cult, right? Because it's weird, Right? So this is the time that we really have to lean in. Here's another thing I'm going to tell you about this stage is oftentimes um, in contemplation, if you're like me, you get really excited because somebody says, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. And you're getting really excited. You're like, woohoo! And we're moving them into change. And they hadn't resolved their ambivalence yet because there were still reasons that they were staying there. We used to uh, find this in um, kids leaving the street to go into transitional living. They would say, I can't do this anymore. And they come in and they're really struggling. And so we're ready to get them into transitional living. But yet, they also hadn't decided, can I live differently? Can I follow rules? I can't be out at 11 o'clock at night on Broadway, walking around, hanging out with my friends. So we have to resolve that ambivalence. And a lot of times we're saying, people will say, they just don't want it here, right? They don't want it. Um, because they went back, and the truth is they had never moved out of contemplation. We moved them ahead of time before that, right? So you've got to resolve that ambivalence. And then um, maintenance, it is their new normal, and they've stuck to it. And recurrence is they return back to old behaviors, okay? Um, 
I'm going to do a quick activity because we're right at the end, but I think this is important. Um, I'm going to read you guys. Um, I want you to think about the stages up here, and I'm going to read you a scenario, and you're going to tell me. I'm going to do this rapid fire, and you guys are going to tell me um, which stage they're in. So um, This guy comes to group, is in, has been invited by another small group member, went to church growing up, became a Christian in middle school, but quit going to church in college. Hasn't been in church for 10 years. Life has been really hard, feels like he needs to get back into church. He is hoping that he can get closer to, that getting closer to God will help. In college, he fell away from the church. Everything he believed um, was questioned in college. What stage is he in? Guys get an A on that one. Okay. Here's another one. It is contemplation, because remember there is ambivalence there. Knows that something needs to change, but yet at the same time had a lot of things rocked. That was closely off of my experience as a kid. I got rocked in college because I didn't know why I believed what I believed. Um, So, okay. Um, Has been coming to um, women's group for a couple of months. Um, Has been engaged, asking a lot of questions, but has not shared a lot of personal information. Before group, um, she pulled the leader aside and asked if she would consider meeting with her on a regular basis. Um, She shared that she's been living with her boyfriend for a year, and she really feels like she needs to move out. She wants to follow God. She wants to tell her boyfriend um, and really have him feel respected, but she doesn't know what to do. Yep, guys. Um, Okay, so I'm just going to read you a statement, and you're going to tell me. So we're not going to do a scenario. I'm just going to do a statement. You hear somebody say this. These last two years, looking back, it's been amazing to watch the work of God in my life. I look forward to seeing what happens in the next year in my walk with Christ. Maintenance, yeah. This is so hard. When will I get this? It's a continual struggle. Action. I love you guys. You're so good. Okay. Um, I am not sure I can change. I hear pre-contemplation and what else? Contemplation. Why? Somebody give me an argument for one of those. Why is it one and not the other? Right. Right. But that infers that he wants to change, he just can't. So that's ambivalence, that's contemplation. That's good. I'm, gl- I'm really glad that we got to have a conversation about one of those. Okay. I'm, a, I'm good with how things are. Pre-contemplation, because they're not even interested, right? Okay. So um, I think you guys get the stages of change, but now I'm going to ask you to personalize. I want you to get your index card out. And I want you to, to yourself, I'm not going to ask you to share it, but I want you to ask yourself, what stage of change are you in with this change? What stage of change are you in? And while you're doing that, I want you to look at your card. And when you find your stage of change, I want you to see what your goal is. 
So you can do this on yourself. I think you can see as a parent how you can do this with your kids, right? And then if you really want um, extra credit, that column three, um, I want you guys, hopefully you will see MI in that column three all over the place. You'll see open-ended questions. You'll see affirmations. You'll see reflections. You'll see evoking. You'll see engaging. And so if you guys can see how this is um, lined up, when you're working with somebody, when you got somebody in group, whether it be you're um, thinking about your own issues or you're working with somebody individually in group, remember, you can just look to say, where are they at? Ah, this is my goal. And these are some specific ways I can get there. If you look at the boldened ones, those are actions or things that you can do. So if somebody comes and they're not even thinking about being Christ-like, they're not even interested in it, um, look at what's some of the most important things, what sticks out to you in column three that you're going to, what's some of the first things you're going to do? You're going to engage and build relationships. And you can pick out several of those at... When I do this training with other people, I give them a worksheet, and they actually pick out two that they're going to do with that person. So they identify what stage of change the kid they're working with or the adult they're working with is in. They pick out um, where they're at, what their goal is, and now what are two questions that they're going to ask them and what are two actions that they can take. You could also look at this as your group, your leader and your LIT looking at this card and say, okay, we, we're like two or three times into the semester Meeting with the group, where are we at as a group overall? Or is there lots of discrepancy between where we are? And there probably is. You're going to have people at different places. And how does that help you design what you do in group and your conversations? Okay? Um, The last thing I want to do is just very quickly, I'm going to um, share with you um, what are some ideas to use this in group. So as we talked about the pathway... So you engage, you focus, you evoke, and then you plan. If that becomes your plan for group, it'll help you structure your group. Um, tools like this gives you a very concrete activity. Like you could use this for a variety of different reasons. I mean, don't obviously do it every week. Your group's going to get a little tired of that. But maybe doing that um, one time um, a semester or a year. Um, assess the needs of your group. It keeps us engaged. So instead of me saying, I can't do this anymore, they don't want it, nobody's growing in my group, if I then go and say, ah, oh, we're in pre-contemplation or we're in contemplation, now I know what to do to move forward, right? Um, it helps us problem solve when you are stuck or frustrated, and that's why I like these cards, because you guys can sit and pour through these and say, oh my gosh, this is what we're missing, This is what we need to do. Um, And then um, planning group. Um, Sometimes just when you're stuck with your topic and you have it, even looking at the third column over here might even give you some ideas of questions to ask. Now, I will tell you when you look at some of these questions, some of them revolve around trafficking and different issues like that, but I think you guys can fit in Christ-likeness on that or growing. Or it could be a topic of serving others. Where are we in our group when it comes to serving others? Okay. Um, Hopefully you um, feel like you can incorporate that. All right. Um, I know I do the parting shots. Words of wisdom. I think of Dave Mitchell every time I 
few parting shots, words of wisdom. Any, um, I think we're right at time. In fact, I'm over. So um, any parting shots or words of wisdom, quick ones? You don't ever say that because then everybody's like, no, you're ready to go. All right, well, I'm going to turn it over to Terry. I'll be here, so if you guys got questions, um, please ask. Hopefully this will be helpful, and you can see some ways that you can use this in group to help facilitate change. Because remember, you're not the fixers. You don't have to instruct people on how to change. The Bible kind of already gives us that. We don't have to recreate that, right? We can facilitate it. Do you got a question? Oh, thank you.